Walmart is helping families access affordable goods and save on what matters most. With Walmart, families can save up to 75% off the cost of branded insulin, which adds up to more than $15 million saved across the country since June 2021. This is just one way Walmart is helping Americans save money on what matters most. Learn more at walmart.com slash better living. That's walmart.com slash better living. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is a conversation with Deepak Nuli, the founder of Cresco. Cresco allows people to invest in equities or stocks using the synthetic assets. So the mission behind Cresco, what Deepak is very motivated to do, is help democratize or make free trading of equities and stocks on chain. Deepak talked about his story, frustrating experience in AMC and GameStop and viewed the middleman as having too much power and felt motivated to create Cresco to allow people anywhere in the world to trade these companies using this synthetic asset. So we talked about how he created the first version, where they are, they've raised money, how they raise money, how they're building the technology specifically. A fascinating concept, something I had really not been familiar with before, this idea of synthetic assets tied to real-world pricing. So we talked about how all that works, and then we branched off into different conversations outside of crypto. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Here is Deepak Nuli. All right. Just like that, Deepak, we're live. Um, excited to chat with you. You have a pretty exciting background and you seem to be interested in many different things right now. Uh, why don't we kick it off with you specifically? What were what are you working on? What were you working on before? Give me your like quick overview of your your interests and, and past couple of projects that you've been involved in. All right. I think uh, there's some problem with my internet but oh sure I'll, uh i think you were asking about uh what projects i was involved in before yes so before uh TradFi, my uh background has been mostly in cybersecurity. i did that for almost 15 years and when i decided to start my own company i decided to like hey why am i helping TradFi? i actually went and started helping doing cybersecurity for TradFi. But I've always been interested in crypto for almost like more than like eight, nine years now. And I didn't, I was like so disillusioned with that. I was like, okay, I'm going to just stop that and focus fully on doing cybersecurity for Web3 companies. So through that, I got to meet uh, the Cello blockchain people. Uh, initially, like we did validator audits for their validators. That was literally like first from any proof of chain uh, network. Uh, proof of stake uh, network and i don't think anybody has done yet like in uh in the space uh, of doing security audits for the validators uh yeah and through that i got involved more into cello helped build their first like uh security team and then since then i've been here at cresco and we can dig deep later of yeah in story as well 
Well, I, I'm curious. You mentioned it's the first first ever was first ever security audit audits for validators or specifically for a cello. Yeah, so I don't think so. This was like uh, the cello foundation officially like decided to like hey, as a part of joining uh, the validator group, we want to make sure the validators are secure, and so we had uh, like a few like checklists that we wanted like uh, the validators to do, and then we went and like ran like a script and also saw that like security setup to make sure that they were all like secure. They were using hardware wallets and things like that. Mm. And what, what, if you were to just, uh, give me the description of what is the security advisor, security auditor, what's, what do you think about the most? I mean, what are like, what's the 80, 20 principle? Where do, where do you first go when you think about either auditing a company or creating a security team? conceptually yeah it depends from person to a company and usually i think one of the best ways i think for security is user education that is like the biggest like win is Mm. if usually it is like you know the weakest link right uh you can bring in like these like firewalls you can bring the most like complicated like edr mdr whatever like these like security tools but if your users like do the wrong thing, uh, game over, right? So that is like the biggest thing I think. Uh, and I, I used to also like focus in my uh, security uh, days, like mostly around like social engineering as well a lot. Uh, so that was like, hey, like how can I like talk to people and then try to get them to reveal things that they wouldn't normally reveal, right? And that you can like get like piece of information and build like a profile and then, you know, compromise somebody. So I think I would say like, yeah, that, that is one of like the biggest things uh, I would focus on. Uh, apart from that, you know, uh, just, you know, like trying to do security uh, by yourself. Like, for example, there are tools, right? Like even like creating a password, right? Like you try to create like a lot of these like complicated passwords and you end up making mistakes or you end up using the same password over and over. That is another big win is just use different passwords for different accounts that will solve like 80%. Like, as I said, like, it's like, just use a tool. Like, so one of my favorite tools uh, is a open source password manager called Bitwarden. It has better user experience and design compared to even like the paid products like LastPass. So I'm, I'm a big, uh, huge fan of LastPass, sorry, of uh, Bitwarden. And if you want to use that, like it has like this place where it says okay generate password for me and you just generate password it'll store it for you you just have to remember the password to one thing and then it's it like then you get uh, uh interesting password it's bit warden it's called yep bit warden uh so what about company wise when you or to ju- say you jump into a company they're like you know just say they're doing say traditional finance they're maybe a 50 person 100 person company they've raised 10 20 million dollars building some payment tool do you do you first go through and say let's audit the customer journey experience make sure you're teaching people correctly how to store manage passwords and that kind of thing or do you jump in and say let's tackle um the the company's management of passwords encryption uh, uh, uh other major technical vulnerabilities is there a playbook that you would think about generally usually like 
the way the security works is people don't just say or like tell us like what to do. It's usually they have like specific goal in mind. So mm-hmm. usually if you are looking for, hey, like we want to increase the awareness of security for our users, there is something else we would do. But if you want to like look at their infrastructure and things like that, there is something else. In general, I think this is a general that will apply for any company is if you are looking for like making sure that employees are secure. I think nowadays that every like with so many like cloud-based uh, applications that we use, your browser more than even like computer nowadays is like the biggest like surface area where somebody can like uh, compromise you. So the best thing to do is making sure you remove all those like uh, Chrome or whatever browser you're using. Just try to minimize the amount of like plugins uh, that you use. Because literally, you're like voluntarily when you add a plugin that's reading everything you do. So you're like, in a sense, like voluntarily adding like a backdoor into your computer through a browser, right? So just making sure that you keep the least amount of plugins uh, in your browser as possible. Uh, some of some cool like uh, browser plugins you can use for like security reasons, right? Like so, I use uh, something like a called Web of Trust. So this is something that will help you be like, hey, you are navigating the web pages on the internet, right? There is no map. There is no, uh, like, you know, on the uh, internet, nobody tells you, hey, this is like a safe place. This is not a safe place. So like these tools, like Web of Trust is, when you install it, it tells you, hey, this website is good or bad. It'll just have like this like green icon in the uh, top right corner and it'll tell you, hey, if I'm visiting the site, is it good or bad? So that is, I would say like, a few easy ones. There are other like plugins also you can use like Privacy Badger or uBlock Origin to block all the ads. Literally when I use like, look at like YouTube now, I don't see literally any ads because I have like yeah. these like plugins. So these are like some small wins, no? Like you just have these things on the user level. And then of course, like there are other things, right? Like if you want to do your infrastructure security and stuff, there are like, you go a little more like do complicated things. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Do you have a thought on browser specifically, whether you're on Chrome, Brave? I interviewed the CTO of Brave uh, a while back, and I personally use it. But do you see that as being advantageous, one browser versus the other? Yeah, I mean, the they both share the same like engine, right? I think it's just yeah. then what kind of data are you collecting? Uh, definitely, if you're worried about privacy, I would recommend using Brave. Uh, but Chrome makes it also like so easy. Uh, it, it is like, uh, what I like about Chrome or even like Brave as well allows you to do this that uh, Firefox does not do as good as creating different profiles. This is something that I would actually recommend is, uh, using different, uh, Chrome or Brave profiles for different kind of works you do. Mm-hmm. Then that keep, keeps like a separation of work, right? Nowadays, like we all do everything on the internet, we use browsers. So sometimes we end up using the same computer for work and for personal. So just keeping that separation of use, like keep creating a separate profile for your work and separate for your personal use. And even like, I would say either a separate profile, if you're doing any crypto transaction, uh, use a totally different profile or use a totally different browser itself for that one. That way you're totally like, when you go to that browser, you're like, okay, like now I'm doing crypto. I'll not do anything else here, then the chances of you like by mistake clicking on like some malicious link and then that compromising your browser like history or like whatever, 
uh, and then stealing something from that browser goes down, right? Like, because when you go to that dedicated browser, I don't even like, you know, uh, try to like Google search anything when I'm doing my crypto. I already have like the like legitimate like links to different like uh, crypto uh, projects and apps. And then I can just like click on those links, right? Then I'm not actually going uh, from some other link. And I think a few also like I would say ways to uh, secure yourself uh, would be, hey, you say like, oh, what is the, I don't know, like URL for Curve again? And a lot of times what we do is we Google search and click on like the first link there. And one pro tip there is like never click on like advertisement links uh, because a lot of times hackers like compromise the AdWords and then you can like uh, get compromised that way. So once you have like these like ad blocking like plugins, uh, like uh, like you know I mentioned like uBlock Origin and Privacy Badger ads don't even like show up. But if they show up, don't click on those. I would use a separate browser, try to find the URL, and good ways to do it would be. Somebody has already wetted the URL. So instead of just Google searching, you can go to like DeFi Llama or go to CoinMarketCap or CoinGecko and try to use the links there because they have like a security team and they want to, uh, they're usually like wet, like what is a good link and not. Interesting. That's some good tips for even for me. Thinking about the different browsers, thinking about minimizing plugins. I have way too many plugins, which is probably not a good thing. And then, uh, yeah, man, good suggestions here. Bitwarren and then the Web of Trust. Uh, you are a, a, a knowledge pool. Um, shifting gears a little bit. So then you started Cresco. Why did you start tra- Cresco? And what did you sort of see that got you excited to to build this go in this particular direction? Yeah, when I actually started Cresco, I was almost like about to create a uh, security company, you know, like to do like security audits uh, for like uh, other blockchain projects. And that was the direction I was going to. Uh, but what happened was uh, the whole like GameStop issue happened last year, you know, uh, when these like Wall Street pets people started like shorting, sorry, started like uh, uh, buying the stock to or like you know like these hedge funds were like shorting it and it i got really mad when like uh, they started like sec started intervening uh robin Hood said oh no you can't trade this anymore and they even like forcefully like started liquidating people's like portfolio i was like oh my god like this is so bad like you know yeah i, I didn't sign up for this uh, and then i went and bought like i, I don't even trade stocks anymore to be honest uh uh I went and bought GameStop just to like support these guys. I was like, okay, like I'll put like a few couple of grand here. Even if it goes to zero, I don't care. I, I don't care about the money. I want to like, you know, like to support, like be part of this, like uh, people yeah. these kids are doing. Uh, and then through that, I was like so mad. I was like, okay, like I think I need to solve this now. Uh, and this is more important that to me than doing the security thing I was doing. Uh, so I went and like looked, started looking at like different synthetic asset protocols and I was surprised actually. I've been in like I've been doing DeFi since like you know DeFi started, uh, but I'm not actually had not delved as deep into how the protocols are designed. So I looked at like a few protocols, right, like the main ones, like Synthetics, Mirror, and I was like, okay, like these protocols are there, uh, and everybody was telling me if you want to build it, why don't you just like fork one of these and then you'll go to market sooner. I was like, okay, like these protocols are like pretty badly designed and i don't want to like you know this it'll be super hard to like improve that design afterwards uh 
so i've like in my career right i've, I've broken a lot of like uh, web2 like protocols and i was like okay i think i can like help design a better system uh, that's how we got started uh, put uh, our own like i have a small like i do like small angel investing so i put like my own money into my project for a while and then get got that going and then after some time yeah we went and like raised some money as well in the last 10 years over 100 billion dollars worth of crypto has been lost or stolen specifically because of poor key management scams and hackers forget not your keys not your crypto software and hardware wallets have both the same vulnerability that a single private key can be lost hacked or simply just misplaced my new sponsor, the Zengo Crypto Wallet, is a total game changer, bringing wallet security to a whole new level. You have to check out Zengo, an on-chain crypto wallet with no private key vulnerability, leveraging advanced cryptography called MPC, which has, just until now, only been available to multi-billion dollar institutions. So Zengo, most secure Web3 wallet, is the best place to keep your crypto, NFTs, and assets secured. It's also fully recoverable using their biometric recovery system, and it's also just beautiful. Get started at Zengo.com and use code ATC to get $20 back on your first purchase of $200 or more. That's Zengo.com, code ATC for $20 back on your purchase of $200 or more. Interesting. So wait, when you earlier, earlier, you mentioned the problem you wanted to solve regarding AMC and GameStop, what was, how do you articulate the problem that existed that you felt inspired, inspired to solve? The biggest thing was of course the censorship resistant around it, right? Okay. Hey, like, like we, as people, like we create this value, uh, for ourselves with our hard work, like, and then like somebody comes and tells you, Hey, you can't do this with your own money. Uh, that is not right. Right. And then, of course, then also other things that I also wanted to solve was uh, bringing this kind of like access. When you look at it, this is like one of the biggest like values that we have at Cresco is, hey, we want to make things like accessible and looking at even existing uh, synthetic asset protocols. They're not very accessible uh, to people. It's so complicated to use these protocols uh, and wanted to bring uh, access to uh like, you know, like the rest of the billion people, right? Like people in like Nigeria, people in like Philippines who maybe have a lot of, don't have as much money. They don't even have bank accounts may, sometimes. How can we bring access to uh, like the wealth creation tools, right? Like stocks and commodities, especially the U.S. stocks have been growing so rapidly in the last like 10 years uh, while you if other like investment tools have not grown that much, right? And local stocks as well, not as much. So, but people are just like, uh, don't even have access. So wanted to bring that access. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree with you. It is super frustrating when <clears throat> there are entities, companies, individuals, effectively human beings that can stop other people from trading. It just is, I mean, this is the kind of enthusiasm that inspires people in crypto to take action and build because it doesn't, we can build a structure that allows for, and I think inherently my thesis on this is that the reason why you and I and many other people share this enthusiasm to allow free market to occur, that no centralized organization should be able to allow, should be able to allow 
stop people from tr- freely trading is that this most most uh, genuinely represents the structure of nature. Like, show me in nature where there's some authoritarian that's like, okay, cheetahs, you hit your quota for those gazelles. Like, you're done. Like, c- capitalism most fundamentally represents this uh, nature of life, which is that things happen as they happen, like trades happen, people buy and sell goods, and that when you allow that to happen, the, the, there's a collective intelligence that's developed. It's like the collective intelligence in the case of AMC and GameStop was like, hey, we see what's happening on the hedge funds and we want to come in and collectively aggregate this intelligence and disrupt that uh, exploitive trade. And to stop that from happening is like to put animals in cages. It just, it, it, it artificially contains the intelligence that can happen in a free market. That's my, that's my theory on it. And I think that's why like open and de- decentralized intelligence is so attractive and almost intuitively or innately uh, just and, and exciting, which. I, yeah, I agree. Like hundred percent. Right. And also I think what the amount of like rapid innovation we are able to do when things are open is mind boggling, right? It's literally exponential. Like, like, I don't know, like, 2008, like these, like a lot of these uh, Lehman brothers and these people like just imploded, no, but do we have like, do we have their IP? Like, do we know what like mistakes they did? Of course, high level we know, but do we know what, what was their software? Like, how was it designed? Like, we don't know, like nobody can go and improve on that. Right. Of course, like in crypto as well, we keep losing this money and like, you know, all these bad models, but the system learns, like, you know, we become resilient as we go further and further which is just like not there in web 2 uh, even with like people are like okay we lost like six bit 16 billion dollars or whatever with the whole like terra and luna ecosystem but dude like we everyone knows like what happened on chain yeah we can see economically what is bad we can see the code what is bad and now we can somebody else can try to do the same thing but improve on those things right we can keep experimenting we can keep like learning like the feedback loop is immediate like it's not even like our protocol right like we have already released our protocol on github somebody else can be like oh these guys are slow like we'll go and like uh improve on these things we don't like these things these three things we'll just take the code and like go yeah know, yeah build it like yeah like it's cool totally i think it's a form of evolution it's like here here's here's the overall structure is that evolution the theory of evolution whether you're just whether life is evolving or a method of cryptography is evolving they're just abstractions and the way that that, that this works is you have to put something out there and get a reaction put something out there get a reaction and this process of like a b testing or putting things out there getting a reaction is how you develop the intelligence of how to build systems. And what I've used the most, the healthy way to do it is to get a lot of little interactions. Like people get burned, they trade crypto, they lose a couple thousand bucks, they're angry, and then they learn, then they manage their keys better, then they, then the the protocol improves or, you know, something happens to improve. In the case of Luna, it's a big, it's a big thing, right? It's a big, like a lot of people lost money and it's a big learning, but ultimately the crypto industry is so big that the impact from that doesn't cripple the whole industry. It's like it ripples out and then makes everyone stronger. So there's not, you can't necessarily say it was a bad thing because you don't see how it 
improve the security of the whole system. And I feel like by analogy, your immune system in your body, you, in order for you to have a strong immune system, you need to constantly be exposed to pathogens and viruses and bacteria. And by doing so, there's a lot of little battles that occur. You get stronger internally, you have a more complex system, and you can handle that when the big one comes in. And like, if you lock yourself in a room and don't expose yourself to anybody or any pathogens, like as soon as you walk outside, it's going to be like World War Three in your body. And I think that's the that's the philosophical like it's like people somehow that's not grip. People aren't gripping that idea, and you know it's like there's a, you, you pay for it somehow. So, um, yeah, I appreciate that. It's interesting. Uh, so all right, so you are where were we? That was so interesting. A little rabbit hole we went down. So, um. You're interested in AMC. You feel like that is a problem. I totally agree with you. Your solution to that is synthetic. Do you view it as synthetic equities trading to allow people to trade uh, securities like on the NASDAQ stocks synthetically, meaning on-chain, not for the real uh, securities themselves, but on-chain representations? Is that the road that you went down or did you then change directions or where? Do, how do you spend your yeah. time? Yeah, so I can explain like what it means to uh, be a synthetic asset protocol. It's a little different than uh, saying, oh, it's synthetic trading because it's on blockchain. It's not that. It is because it is creating a derivative, uh, right? Like, so there's Tesla that trades on the stock market, right? There are two ways we could bring that Tesla on chain. One is like USDC, you know, I could buy uh, like a bunch of Tesla and then put it in my uh, like the company's name and then make on-chain representations of that and then be like, okay, like here, like now you can trade Tesla. Right? Now we can. So that is more like a custodial solution, right? Which I'm not as keen or interested in. I'm, I consider myself like crypto native, like m many people. Uh, and I'm like, okay, like the other way of doing this would be, uh, what's it called? Like uh, maybe something like a uh, collateralized, like uh, table coin, right? Like, Maybe like, let's say, die the previous version, right? When you could create like walls just with like ETH, no? Uh, so what we do is you over collateralize something instead of now generating like $1 worth of stable coin, we generate any arbitrary token. So in this case, like a Tesla token, let's say I wanted to create like, I don't know, $100 worth of Tesla. So I give the protocol $200. So I've over collateralized my position. And then I can borrow that $100 worth of Tesla. And then now that is a synthetic Tesla, right? It's not like the real uh, Tesla. Nobody has it in their like uh, custody. It is artificially created. And then we use like an Oracle to make sure that the price when we are creating is taken from that Oracle from the current price of Tesla. So that makes it synthetic. So it is not. So as users who come and like then, uh, so once whoever is creating it, right, like they can borrow it. Let's say I borrowed hundred dollars worth of Tesla. Then I can add another hundred dollars worth of, let's say, I don't know, USDC and then create a pool on an AMM like Uniswap or TriSolaris. Uh, so then there is liquidity and then somebody can come and buy and sell that Tesla token, right? Uh, what is missing there would be, right, you can get access to the price of Tesla, but it does not give you other rights. You won't get like dividends. You will not get uh, any like voting rights and things like that. But at least that is better than having no access. Mm. 
And in that case, sorry, where is the who is actually owning this the stock uh, in terms of like SEC? Like, where is that? Would that be centralized? And then. So, yeah, there is no centralizing factor, right? It's like right now, like DAI, right? Like who is owning DAI? Like, yeah, it's, yeah. it's created by the protocol. Somebody has taken a loan, right? So the counterparty of that trade in terms of a DAI is you create a vault, right? Like the smart contract itself is the counterparty. It locks in your collateral and then it gives you DAI. In our case, similarly, it locks in the collateral. It could be ETH, it could mm-hmm. be USDC. And then when you borrow that Tesla, so then... It is backed by something, right? So they can always go and return that uh, whatever Tesla you borrowed, right? And it gives you back your collateral. Is this live? We are not live yet. So we are going to be live in the coming like one to two months. So what we are doing now is we are uh, enabling our like uh, alpha. Uh, we're creating like a alpha waitlist and then we'll launch like the alpha product on uh the aurora testnet on near uh and then we want to like you know like battle test it during this like uh alpha testnet phase uh with like we want to bring in like so this is like a call like if uh if you are into like DeFi uh, and are interested more like we would like to bring in people who have a little more like advanced knowledge of DeFi, uh so that they can help in creating like market making right like we want people to come borrow the product uh uh, synthetic assets, uh, create markets, and also like we also have like liquidators on the protocol, right? Like somebody has to make sure that uh, the assets that are being borrowed are always over collateralized, right? So to keep the protocol solvent, uh, so there are like these actors called liquidators who can see, hey, like if something is under collateralized, they can go and like liquidate positions, uh, and they can earn like fees for doing that. So we want to test all these things out uh, uh, and make sure that the protocol is safe and sound. So what we're doing is we are uh, creating like first, like just on the test net, we're doing like an alpha release. And right now our like, uh, uh, what is it called? The waitlist has uh, opened and uh, you can go to our website and sign up for the waitlist. And uh, yeah, then we plan to actually like uh, cut it down to like, 50 people we want like 50 active people on the test net so that we get enough like feedback mm-hmm. uh so we will probably just get it to like 50 people by actually uh just sending like a fun like this degen quiz no like a lot of people do this like hey what is your degen score so we're right now like building a uh, quiz so that uh, we want to make sure that people who will come and use it actually know what they're doing uh that way we get Good feedback. Yeah, degen, degen, short for degenerate or people who are in crypto that just are fucking around. Essentially, is that how you think of it? Yeah. So th- those would be degens. So what we have termed a new terminology called mission-oriented degens, <laughs> right? So we, we we want people who are on a mission, but in in reality, like we we don't want like sophisticated users, right? Like sometimes degens are just like aping in into things, you know. Like aping. I'm using a lot of like crypto words here, but uh, but instead of like people who don't know what they're doing and just aping, uh, we don't want them just yet. Yeah, yeah. They want to come and use the protocol that we open when we finally release. But right now, we're looking for more like sophisticated users who know what they're doing, like who know things like over collateralization, who know like what a collateral ratio is, 
uh, and things like that. We want them to. Yeah, okay. Okay. Is this available anywhere else in the world today? Could I trade a equity on chain through a synthetic uh, token or synthetic, what'd you call that? Proto- protocol? Yeah. Asset. Asset, yeah. yeah, yeah. So there are, there are a few, right? Like, so some centralized exchanges do synthetic assets, but again, like it's like centralized, right? It's not interesting. Uh, I, the, there are two big protocols I can think of that currently exist. One is called uh, Synthetics. It's on the Ethereum blockchain, and I think they've moved on to Arbitrum as well. So they're on the L2 and there as well. Uh, they have a different model. And then the other big player here in this market was uh, Mirror Protocol, which totally like imploded like in the recent weeks because it's part of the Terra ecosystem. Again, like there is there there is something around like you know like security considerations that they didn't think of was uh this is more on the economic security side of things they 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 were using exclusively uh usd the uh the terra token like the us terra token as collateral on the protocol and they were also using i think like other like luna based tokens like luna a luna b luna kind of tokens so now like Literally, like those assets were backing your synthetic assets. Now, if you make that wrong decision, right? Like if you don't have a good asset as your collateral, then if that collateral asset like implores, then your protocol is done, right? And I don't even know like what's going to happen with Mirror now. Uh, in, in the same sense, like I think uh, synthetics as well has only like one token that they use as collateral. It is the synthetics governance token itself. I think that also is a, has a big risk, no? Like if that particular token for some reason like starts crashing or something, then the whole protocol and all the assets being backed by that uh, protocol will just... Yeah. yeah, and in fact, what you're saying is that the collateral, meaning the, the value you have to put up to get the equity or the synthetic asset representing the equity, is that that value, that collateral, is something that the protocols, synthetics in this case, or mirror that was relying on Luna, that's something that you has to work. You know, the collateral, if I put my house up for a collateral on a loan, and then my house burns down, well, now there's no collateral left. So the collateral has to be trustworthy. So using why my question to you, why wouldn't they use like Tether or DAI or USDC or some more trusted stablecoin for collateral? Yeah, I think it's just bad design. Uh, w- one reason I can think of is, hey, like we want to create, sometimes it's like, oh, we want to create like like demand for our own like ecosystem token, right? Like with UST, they, they wanted to make sure like they had enough like protocols within that ecosystem that will use that collateral. Uh, I can think of that as one reason why they said, oh, we just want to use these tokens, right? And not those other tokens. Same thing with uh, synthetics. Yeah, I think that is like a recipe for like, disaster waiting to happen yeah and by contrast your the method of collateral you would use here for cresco would be would be what again so we'll be using a basket of tokens right so uh, we'll have and again like it's open like we can also like have governance to add more tokens so in the beginning we are thinking of uh, eth we think of usdc uh, maybe uh, the native token in the near ecosystem, either like the Aurora token or the near token. Uh, and maybe if there is DAI, we'll use DAI. So these are some options that we are uh, thinking. And again, I think here, uh, one thing to note is not 
every token is equal and you have to also like uh, value them separately right like let's assume that even if our giving like one dollar worth of eth to the protocol versus one dollar die so those two should be valued differently right die is uh like a stable coin so i would say like okay like one dollar worth of die the protocol can treat as like 99 cents right like because there is still like some risk there uh, in case of eth maybe eth is more volatile right then we say okay like we will the protocol will treat one dollar worth of eth as 80 cents mm-hmm. So then that way the protocol is like safeguarding itself and like uh, asking people, hey, if you give this as collateral, then uh, maybe we'll consider only less. Then it will incentivize people to give uh, different collateral that has like a higher like uh, uh, safety. Right. So we, we have like these kind of like parameters that we add to keep the protocol secure. This is some lot of people do this. Right. Even if you go uh, to uh, like Awe and you want to borrow. And if you give uh, something like ETH as collateral versus give like something like DAI as collateral, uh, so they have like this like loan to value ratio. So they they consider uh, the percentage different for each. Like I can borrow maybe I don't know how much the numbers are right. Like if I give hundred dollars worth of DAI, maybe I can borrow like forty dollars. But if I give ETH, maybe I can borrow only thirty dollars. Right. So that is like the risk uh, adjustment that uh, a lot of protocols do. What they don't do is risk adjustment on what asset is being borrowed. So this is something that we are also innovating here is uh, we can make our protocol much more like secure and resilient by also treating different assets that are being borrowed based on their risk, right? Like, let's say I borrowed uh, gold versus I borrowed Tesla, right? Tesla is more volatile, so it's more risky. So maybe I should pay more to borrow Tesla uh, if I want to borrow gold, I should pay less, right? So then we have like like parameters on the protocol that will adjust risk. In general, like uh, most of these like lending and borrowing protocols, synthetic asset protocols have something called as like over collateralization ratio. So what this means is uh, it'll have one number, right? Like let's say if you want to borrow $100, you pay $150. So then you have that 150% as uh, uh, collateral. So you, uh, so in, so that is a global number that applies to ent- throughout the protocol, right? Uh, but if we want to also be resilient, what we want to do is we want to add these like security parameters for on the both on the collateral side and also on the asset being borrowed. Uh, what that helps is like, okay, like you have these global numbers. Otherwise, every time you want to add a new asset to the protocol, if you don't have this, then you got to change the global like collateral ratio uh, of the protocol to keep it secure. Uh, So what we do is we make it more flexible by saying, okay, there'll be one global collateral ratio. Let's assume that it is 150%, that we want people to have at least a minimum of 150% over collateralization. But at the same time, when somebody wants to borrow some risky asset, uh, so we have another parameter called KR factor. So we say, okay, like if you want to borrow $1 worth of Tesla, you have to pay us a premium like of 20% more than what you would pay to borrow mm. more. So then we're making the protocol more secure by uh, creating these like risk. That products. makes sense. Would that be an open variable that would fluctuate based on market demands or something that's more controlled by the you know, pr- protocol, I guess? 
Yeah, so it's usually it it will change, but it will not change uh, like day to day. It may change every like six months or a year. And the way we do it is we look at the volatility. Yeah. We look at the exponential like average of the asset and say, okay, how volatile is this asset? And then we decide like what the uh, factors. Hmm. I would think that would be something that could that would just fluctuate as uh, market demands go up and down. But that doesn't. That's not how you're thinking of it. It's like. No, that's not how we're thinking. For the safety of the protocol, it's not about the market demand. It's more about how sec- uh, how safe that asset itself is, like how volatile or uh, not non-volatile. I see the risk. Of it, yeah, right. If if some asset, let's say, yeah, if if we say like right, like maybe there is some like penny stock or something, right, which which is going up hundred percent or two hundred percent every other day, right. Uh, and then maybe it falls down 100%, then that has more risk than gold, right? Maybe gold is fluctuating between like 1% to 5%, right? Uh, so then we, what people will, then we have to like add like a higher premium on people borrowing those risky assets. Because you need to, you as the protocol need to be able to pay out when people come back, uh, you know, trading back whatever they borrowed, gold or Tesla stock. Yeah, yeah, and we... Yeah, that is one reason. And the other reason is to make sure that protocol always have enough, right? Like if there's a flash crash, right? Uh, and somebody had borrowed like $10 million and given like collateral, right? Like if the price just goes up so fast uh, and then even like if there's not enough collateral to back that anymore, then it, we become under collateralized. So by adding this like premium, it helps like stop some of those things from. But happening. technically speaking, is there always a, a risk of under collateralization of DeFi exchanges, DeFi markets here, like uh, Ave and Compound, and like could they become under collateralized and not be able to return funds to people? There's always that chance, no? Like we can never like. Uh, so what Ave has is like Ave is pretty cool actually. Like what they have is. If something goes under, like, of course, you over collateralize and people borrow, but lenders are at risk, right? Like if there's not enough collateral, if mm-hmm. some, there's a price crash. So that's why you over collateralize, right? Like that's why you're giving like that 150% or one, whatever that number is. Uh, that is one way. And in our way, what they have is they have like, uh, I think a safety module where like, you know, like people who stake the away token uh, and get rewards. So in that protocol, like up to 30% of that staked uh, away tokens can get liquidated and be packed in case of... Oh. So then the people who are uh, more part of the away ecosystem, then they are uh, getting these rewards, but they're also helping backstop in case of under collateralization. Uh, for Cresco, right? Like we will introduce something like this for Cresco as well, but Right now, what we're doing is we're not releasing a token when we are launching this project. So we'll not have that in the beginning day, early days. But once we have our token, we'll also think of something like similar to like a safety module that is like uh, backers of like lost, last mm. resort. I, most people I talk to have a early emphasis to launch a token. They usually launch a token. They'll maybe write a white paper, maybe, maybe come out with some beta products, but then go and uh, reach out to institutional crypto investors, get a few commitments, do a pre-sale of a token, and then get the rest of the retail investors to buy into the pre-sale of the token or launch the token and use that to capitalize the business. Is that playbook not what you're following or how are you thinking about capitalization of like funding the business? Yeah, so we are 
of course, think it's a similar process, but what we are avoiding is like creating this like hype base, like, hey, let's create a token, let's hype this. Yeah, token. yeah. That is what we want to avoid. We want to take our time and build a token that actually uh, makes sense and bring it. Uh, yeah, we even like, of course, like what we did was the opposite. Like we uh, built our protocol and we wrote our white paper now after finished uh, building the protocol. Uh, and then like, you know, like we didn't want to just like fundraise money on like a white paper, right? Like we built something, we can show things to the people. Uh, yeah, of course we are, we do, we did raise like institutional, like uh, capital, uh, as well uh, and then now what we want to do is yeah like we what we want to do is battle test the protocol we want to see if we can create a protocol that works uh you know without creating these artificial like incentives right i think creating incentives is a good model to bring adoption but if we do it too much it's not good for the protocol or the ecosystem like we saw with like the whole like terra and luna yeah. ecosystem, right uh it goes out of control. So what we want to do is we want to make sure that the protocol we're building is economically safe and sound. And then we also want to introduce like incentive mechanisms in a way that makes sense and actually uh, incentivize actual people who are invested in the Cresco protocol, who want to support the protocol and give the tokens, try to get the tokens to them and not just to some like, you know, we talked about earlier about DGENs who yeah, just yeah. come and like want to do like some farming, make their rewards and this leave, right? Then we're just giving up like this uh, token that could be given to like actual supporters of the protocol. Yeah. So we want to think through that a little bit. I, I like the way you did it, frankly. I think I, I'm always surprised that people find as much success as they do on writing the white paper, l shooting the token out there and then building the protocol because things change. You don't know what, I, I mean, how many iterations you go through of figuring like, this is how I want to build it, but then it changes. I just, I think the white paper is like, yeah. white paper is like a published first idea. It's like, this is how it might work. And then you don't give yourself the flexibility. Granted, if you code it in, it's written in code. So you, it's slower to change, but you can, I mean, you change a protocol over time. Um, of course, like we actually wrote the white paper. We found like a few like missing gaps. We thought like, oh, we were thinking this. We totally didn't think about that. And yeah, we went back and we are updating. And as we speak, like, you know, we're still like making those updates and changes. And of course, like security is a big, uh, of course, like priority for me and my project as our project as well. So not just security in terms of software security, right? We, of course, we got our uh, code audited by Quantstamp. Uh, that is important. The, what is also important is the economic security of the model of the protocol. So that is something that we are internally doing right now is doing an economic model of the protocol and trying to uh, see, hey, like what are the scenarios where the protocol may break, do some like simulations and then, you know, bring that back. And even like doing the testnet as well. Not many, I've not seen many DeFi protocols also do this, like what is called as like a guarded launch, right? Like they first... So we're going into a testnet, right? Like usually like layer one blockchains do this, right? They do testnet, they have like this, like some kind of like competition, like I think game of stakes in the Cosmos ecosystem, they did it. And even like Celo had something like that in the early days. So we want to bring that kind of model uh, even to like our like DeFi protocol to make sure uh, that, yeah, people can come and test it out. Uh, we give some like, you know, uh, some like we'll have a leaderboard. It'll be fun, like a game. Like, so uh, you can come and like try to break it. You can also, That's sweet, you know? 
better do other things. And are you building a community mostly on Twitter and Telegram? Or how, how do you go about building, getting, getting the word out? Yeah, so for us, right, like we are, we have a few values, right? Like the community comes first. Uh, and also uh, for that one, what we are doing is we are building on Twitter and we built a lot of like private communities all over the world. I'm like, <laughs> like a digital nomad. I, I travel everywhere. I'm excited to meet new people all over the world. So we actually have like a very like small community in Berlin. We built a small community in uh, Mexico City. Uh, uh, we built. Like, what does that mean uh, when you in, build a community? Does that mean you have you you? What does that mean to build a community in Berlin? Yeah. So what I did was like okay, like when I was there, I went. Uh, I met with like some potential like users. Uh, of course, like people who are like have the shared same values and are interested in like the thing that we are building. So like physically, I would go and meet. Maybe like do a few like meetups, do a few talks host some events. I'm also a yoga nice. teacher, so I uh, I don't get time to teach yoga anymore. But so uh, what we do is like every Saturday, I would be like, okay, let's go on a run and then do yoga in the park. So bring community together, do some things outside as well. So yeah, this is what it means right, to build community. I mean, as in Mexico, it is more like, uh, I was in Tulum, we built a community there. there it was more about, hey, let's go uh, get dinner, right? Like we just meet and hang out and like, awesome. uh, talk about uh, that's super cool. I love that. I love that. I, I think it's awesome that you're able to do that, travel around the world and build, literally build communities, teaching yoga and meeting up with people. Um, super cool. So uh, you get, where are you now? How, how much did you raise through, you mentioned you raised institutional round. Is that done? Or And how much did you raise? Yeah, so we raised like a seed round uh, about... Uh, like last August, August, September timeframe, we, we raised seed round, we raised uh, $2.35 uh, million. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, and then now we are actually planning to, we might do another round before we launch. So we don't know what that will look like just yet. And will you keep that as a like private LLC uh, company and raise that way, trading for equity or... How do you, because you can do the token, but you're not doing that yet, which I think is smart. Uh, so I imagine you're raising on like a convertible note or safe round in the meantime. Yeah. I think the model that people are using recently, which has gotten popular with like a lot of other projects is you do a safe and a warrant. That is typically how people go. So the safe will give you access to equity and the warrant will give you access to the tokens. And typically what people do is they uh, say, hey, like, okay, like we're launching, we'll, we'll go into like a DAO or whatever. Uh, then they just get rid of the equity part of it and people just get the tokens. That's one way to do it. In our case, we have a few ideas. Uh, and some, some of it is like still like under the wraps, but. Uh, Walmart is helping families access affordable goods and save on what matters most. With Walmart, families can save up to 75% off the cost of branded insulin, which adds up to more than $15 million saved across the country since June 2021. This is just one way Walmart is helping Americans save money on what matters most. Learn more at walmart.com slash better living. That's walmart.com slash better living. Yeah. What do you think about this? Yeah. You think there's, I mean, 
by contrast, in the, in the typical startup world, if you start a company, it's like Delaware, C Corp, maybe you have two founders, you have an employee stock option pool, 10% each founder, maybe each founder splits. So you have like 45, 45% for each and then 10% for employees. And then as you grow, you dilute the company, you give away 20% equity in exchange for each round of capital you go on, you seed ABCDE, you IPO, etc. And it's like a there's the innovation in fundraising is discouraged because it's a fairly straightforward playbook that just works. So when you tell an investor, hey, we're innovating on the way we're raising money, it's like a red flag. They're like, I don't know if I want to be a part of this. You got like, my uncle is going to put in some money that, and we're going to do a rev share. And then like, we're going to trade secondary stock for, it's like, all that shit is a no-go. But it seems more like in crypto, because it's new and because you have this additional mechanism with the token, there is a lot more innovation or at least more accepted innovation. I mean, we just described a couple different ways of doing it with pre-sales, safe warrants. Do you think we'll get to a place where it's just like, this is how you do it in, in crypto? And there'll be very little, there'll be very little need for innovation because it seems frustrating from the founders I talk to that it's unclear as to how you raise money based on where the company is, what the company does. Yeah, yeah, it, it's hard, man. It's hard. Like, it's hard to, like, uh, it's changed, right? Like, I, I think the industry has evolved, right? Uh, the way we were doing uh, fundraising during the Bitcoin days was totally different, right? People would just create, like, these, like, forks and then add, like, a developer, like, uh, fee, right? Like, like how Zcash did, right? Like, every block will have X percentage to the devs, right? That is one way. That is the early days. And then we had went into the ICO way where we said, okay, we'll write a white paper and mm-hmm. go raise like hundreds of millions of dollars through that. And then now I've come into this, which is, I think, in a way, quite unfortunate. Right? I think, of course, the ICO days brings in a lot of people trying to scam and get money out of uh, like retail investors, which is also not good. But it at least had like, if you were like good enough, if you had like good like investment skills or like good way of like finding out, access was still there like there was like so much freedom like i got into like so many good projects early on just because i was able to go read up like the white papers and see what the team was about right i got into like early days of like polkadot uh, and like you know uh, other like similar like projects uh, and now it's so it's in a way unfortunate right like we're moving a little bit into like the silicon valley model where we say okay uh, people are raising seed round pre seed round they're also doing C- Series A and maybe then they go public. Sometimes people do seed around and then they go public with their tokens. But then it does not give like then your community early access. No, like by the time you go, sometimes, you know, I think bad uh, projects with bad tokenomics, they almost give up like 40% to these insiders, right? Insiders me- meaning the uh, investors and the team and the community just gets like 40, 50% or less. Mm-hmm. Even less than that, which I think in the long run, I think that's not a good project, right? That will fail, uh, which is quite unfortunate. I would like to have better regulations. That way we can actually incentivize like the early adopters to come and like, you know, also be part of this, but we can't do it because of the regulations. So this is, this is the new model that people are going is. I think, uh, yeah, it might get, I think it'll just keep evolving, man. I think the at any point of time, there will be a certain model that most people are following. And that only you can find out only by like talking to other founders. Otherwise, it's it's really hard. Nobody publishes 
blog posts. There are few, not too many. If you want, I can send you some resources that I have that you can share. Yeah, yeah. I, it's so interesting. Given a lot, of it's fun. like it's there's a ton of innovation obviously happening on what the technology is, what it does, how people can use it. There's there's a decent amount of movement on the regulations, but that given the fact that there's so many people from all over the world building so many different things with new technologies available, the methods of creating capital to fund these entities, protocols, or companies changes so quickly. There's not like one place you can go to see how all the different companies are structured, which, um, yeah, it's kind of interesting idea. Uh, on this, on this idea, I, I know a, li- a little bit about your interest in, um, like fractional assets and ownership through, through Tesla. Are you, are, do you think about this as something that could evolve into other types of assets, not just equities and stock stocks, but things like, um, you know, cars or houses or is that part of have you how to what degree have you thought about allowing people to trade those type of assets as well yeah i think being a synthetic asset protocol literally any arbitrary asset that has a price mm-hmm. feed we can create assets out of i joke sometimes like, hey if you get me a price feed of the temperature in your local town we can create like somebody to like you know yeah. Uh, trade that asset, right? We can lit- literally trade anything like that. But no, like to be uh, f- honest, like uh, we have given a thought, but in the beginning, right? Uh, one of the things, like because, like, uh, well, as we have is to bring access to wealth to people, right? Anywhere and to anyone. So what that means is then we want to start with like just simple tools, right? Like simple things that you go down the street, everyone, like we talk about stocks and commodities, mm. people know it. And people want to use these things. So that is, and then if you look at the other like projects that are doing this, there are not many projects, but if you want to do like some more esoteric, like derivative projects, like, you know, oh, you want, I want to do like perpetual swaps or I want to do Martian trading. I want to do options trading, right? There's so many DeFi protocols out there, which get into like, okay, like they're not really uh, helping bring like this, like access to wealth to users. So our value is like, hey, we want to create these tools that anybody can use in the beginning. And then we can like innovate on top of that and like try to bring more esoteric projects. But one fun, like, yeah, uh, product that we may create is like, hey, somebody to to be able to trade like uh, the floor price of an NFT, like, oh, this NFT is too expensive, but I like it. So we can create like a product that, like a synthetic asset uh, product that tracks the price of a floor price of certain NFTs, right? So that is something that we have thought about. Like we can also do a lot, a lot of these like crypto native uh, products, right? Like so that is where our interest lies. I'm not personally interested too much in creating. Hey, we want to do like real estate and stuff. Of course, like we can make money there, but it's just like mm-hmm. not technically like not challenging for mm-hmm. me or interesting for me to do that, right? Uh, yeah, and again, like I talking about values, right? We have a few uh, values that we want to bring in and want to aim to like uh, better what DeFi is right now. One is to use these DeFi protocols. It is so inaccessible to even like me, right? Like if uh, people who you have to have some kind of like technical knowledge, even me, like when I go to some DeFi project protocols and I'm not seen that in a while, I'm like, how does this work again? I need to like go and like do some research. So how can we make that easy uh, for people to access it? Uh, and also, 
uh, easy to like, hey, like I have like this kind of like debt. How do I visually like see w- how much debt I have? What is the risk I'm taking? Uh, it's not very open and easy for dif- uh, on different protocols to see that. So we we are spend a lot of time making sure that our designs are great. And the other one is a user experience around, hey, like if I want to like create like uh, borrow some asset and create liquidity, sometimes you know people say like, okay. You go to Uniswap, create a LP token, bring that LP token back and do farming here. But why? Like, why should you go to Uniswap? It's all composable, right? Like, why not allow that in on it on your own platform? So for us, like, we have this opinionated approach of like, hey, a user comes to our platform, they should be able to do all the actions on that platform, uh, even though in the background, right? Somebody may be the platform may use uh, something like a AMM outside, but you can still create liquidity pools on our platform itself and you can do farming on our platform whatever it is that you want to do everything should happen on our platform and we make that easy for users to uh, mm. use. and effectively make all the utilities like the uh amm the market makers like uniswap just make those behind the scenes like no one would have to go to uniswap uh you could just do it on independent platforms and the platforms themselves build into uniswap so the front end functionality is on those platforms. Yeah, exactly. So what we will do is we'll re- release a pro- protocol, right? And then we'll build a platform on top of the protocol, right? That will use the protocol to create these synthetic assets. But that platform can also allow people to like trade different uh, synthetic assets. It can allow people to create liquidity pools on like different like AMMs, but it'll all happen in one dashboard from Got it. Yeah, the synthetic asset concept is super interesting. It's like if I put down collateral, the protocol creates this. Tell me if this is not the right way to describe it, but conceptually is how I understand it. That if I put down $100 in USDC, the synthetic protocol, the protocol will create the synthetic asset of Tesla stock. As long as that Tesla stock is one of the options, you know, I can't create anything. It has to be, you know, select one of the 50 options that are available as synthetic assets. And then I hold this asset, which is a uh, NFT effectively, right? It's it's something that represents, it tracks the token, it tracks the share price of Tesla. So as it as share, Tesla goes up, this the value of this NFT goes up uh, as represented on the protocol. And then I could always trade it back into the Cresco exchange and get, uh, get my collateral back and then trade in the synthetic asset. Is that, am I describing this in the right way? Yeah, it's correct. Yeah, I'll add on a few details to just like clarify uh, certain things. One is it's not an NFT. Uh, maybe next version it'll be an NFT, but right now it, it's just another okay. like ERC20 token. So it's just like, like die or something, right? So you go into the protocol, you over collateralize it, you get the Tesla token, right? But then it's not doing anything when you get it. So you, there are two sides of the market. One side is the supply side. So basically, if you are to create this, then you are on the supply side. So you are making market. So once you create it, what you will do is you'll then add like some USDC and put it on an AMM and create a pool, right? So that is on the supply side. So you are taking, so the user who will do this has to be a little more sophisticated because uh, because the price, as the price of Tesla starts going up, then you have to go back to your uh, 
pool, uh, sorry, to your like vault and add like more collateral, right? It, it always has to be 150% or more. So you have to go back and keep putting collateral if the price of Tesla goes up. But then what is the reason for you to do that, right? Like there's no reason for you to do that. So that's why you go and make market. Like if your interest is to make markets, so then you go take that and put it on AMM and then people can then trade against that, right? And then you can make that trading fee uh, for doing that. And then if we do have incentive rewards, we're still like deciding whether they'll be incentive rewards or not. So you can also get those incentive rewards for having done that. So that is one side of the market. And the other side of the market is people can just go to an AMM and say, hey, I want to buy Tesla, right? Like they can say, okay, I want to buy synthetic Tesla. I can just give USDC and I can buy Tesla. They don't have to know this or collateralization, nothing, right? Same thing with uh, DAI, right? Like now you can go to DAI and you say, hey, I have to take some profits. I made a lot of money in ETH. Let me go sell some of my ETH and buy DAI and I'll hold on to my DAI, right? You didn't really go right. and create that DAI, but somebody else has created it. That is the other side of the market. Like there are some market makers who say, all right, I want to make some money doing this so they can go and they say, okay, I will give uh, ETH here and generate DAI. And for doing this, I'll get some interest for doing that. And then I'll take that and I'll sell that in the open market. Uh, so those and are on, like- on the, on the market maker side, if, when I'm putting in USDC, uh, when I put it, well, let me ask you it this way. When I'm, when I'm making the market here, uh, wouldn't I be sh- effectively short selling Tesla? Like if I'm, if I'm, if I'm purchasing synthetic Tesla stock, then I'm getting more money. I'm getting more USDC out of the protocol than I put in. Assuming Tesla stock went up, say, say I put in a hundred USDC. I have a hundred US dollars worth of Tesla stock. Tesla stock doubles. Now I go back to the exchange. I want to take out $200 and make that trade. Somebody has to be on the other end of that trade, right? Somebody has to effectively be losing money, losing USDC. Is that, is that the right way to think of it? Yeah. So you are essentially taking a short position, right? So when you actually uh, create the Tesla and then go and uh, sell it on an AMM, you have essentially taken a short position. You can literally just go and like sell it fully. Then you're taking a shot, but you can also take it and make a make market out of it on the uh, of an exchange. So those are like, like, and then that's why it needs like somebody who has little more like uh, financial like engineering knowledge uh, to be able to, you know, a lot of people like market makers they hedge their bets, right? Like they can create like these things called as delta neutral strategies where even the price of Tesla goes up or down, doesn't matter. You're always like neutral, your amount. And then I see you make is like profit basically. So, so it requires a little bit of work to figure out like how to do your like Delta neutral strategy. Interesting. Uh, do you yeah. do that uh, personally? Do you get into like advanced trading, crypto trading, market making and that kind of thing? No, I mean, these days like, I, I'm more like, uh, so this is another like, well, as we have is like long-term, uh, investment strategies like we, yeah. we want to help people build growth so we want people to think long term and that is personally how i invest and i used it is literally i look at my portfolio like like for an hour yeah before i used to look at least like two hours a week now i don't even have time like maybe an hour a month if i get to look at my portfolio that is too much time but uh, no I, I still go and like of course like play around with all these DeFi protocols to get the uh, insights into 
uh, improving like what we're building all right uh, but otherwise personally like i don't do like any of these like yeah. margin trading or like doing like any of like risky you have to be i mean you have to be all in when you do that you can't be running a crypto company and doing that on the side um last question for you and i'll let you run I, i'm curious about this yoga so how long what what has yoga done for you why do you think this is something uh, it, I, I speaking for someone who does it every day and has done it for years uh did you learn in india you're you the hindu hacker um uh handle are, are you how has yoga shaped you why do you why are you an advocate for yoga oh good question no i think no like i actually like growing up in india like kids like right like nobody does things what everyone is doing no like nobody none of my people of my generation really growing up in india we didn't do yoga like of oh, course yeah. we, it was there where we we learned it when we were kids but nobody got into it i actually came to new york i was living in new york for like 7 years and i had a back injury and the doctor said oh you have to go and get surgery I was like why this is the first thing you're telling me like you know I went and started exploring different options and then that's where I got into yoga and then since then I'm like okay like I got deep into it then I went back to India yeah. met a lot of like teachers uh, got super excited uh, and then like then started like teaching it as well uh, did a teacher training uh, and I continue to learn like you know I think it helps uh, it helps me uh, keep my both like yeah. physical and mentally strong uh, not freak out uh, keeps me sane uh, and now I've, I've also of course i do like a lot of like meditation as well i like mm. to stay in like jungles and right now in costa rica i uh, spent like 8 months traveling through the amazons of like peru and ecuador met a lot of like shamans and then yeah i have a both like yoga and like meditation practice that you know that helps me a lot to stay focused have like stamina to you know it's not easy to build a startup you know like i'm having like these kind of like high level like stress conversations that maybe when i was like a employee i would have like like you know like small things like hey i want to ask grace right i would literally like stress about it for like weeks before i go to my boss and like want to ask for a raise right those are like high pressure environment and now i have to have these kind of conversation literally every day like i'm either hiring somebody or i'm like letting somebody go i'm trying to uh, raise money from investors and I literally i have to do these conversations like a few times single day and i don't have the luxury of like few weeks to do one conversation but i have to have 50 conversations otherwise my startup is like yeah <laughs> yeah be like dead in the water right so yeah no that the, all those things like you know the yoga and like meditation like helps you uh, yeah a lot of shared experiences on my side too so awesome to hear that uh, well, Hindu hacker, uh, H-I-N-D-U hacker on Twitter, Instagram, any other personal places you want to shout out? I'm sure we'll have the links for Cresco in the show notes. Um, yeah. 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 I think nothing beyond that. Uh, so uh, like in closing, I would say, yeah, like go to our website, Cresco.fi. Uh, that is like K-R-E-S-K-O.fi. And uh, Mike can put the links in the show notes as well. Uh, yeah and if you are a sophisticated defi users we'd love to have you on our like alpha launch please do come yeah, and sign up sweet. on our waitlist all right brother great chatting with you thank you for listening to around the coin if you enjoyed the show today consider giving us a quick review wherever you listen to podcasts 
tweet about it or text it to a friend. We really appreciate all the support and growing that we can. If you have any guests you'd like us to bring on or feedback for us, don't hesitate to reach out. We would love to hear from you. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.